702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, emergency services on high alert as rain pours down in Gauteng where the services issued warnings. Two appear in court for the Pala Pala robbery. Nandipa Magudamana loses her bail application appeal. Police confirm the transport minister and two VIP protectors were held up and robbed of their firearms and how the law can work against police brutality. All of that over the next hour. 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk. Quite a few developing stories we are looking at. We've got that court appearance today for the Pala Pala money dollars in the couch robbery. Uh, the domestic worker from Pala Pala, uh, an employee, the cleaner, appearing in court today. Also uh, a Nigerian national as well. We'll bring you the latest on that. Also that lead story in Eyewitness News about the appointment of the city manager in the city of Joburg, Nandipa Magudamana. Also losing her bail application appeal. If there's anything you would like to weigh in on, send us a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. We do start in the city of Joburg today uh, because there has been very heavy rainfall overnight and this morning as well. Many roads being affected. The Weather Service has also put out uh, notifications, weather warnings as well. We'll speak to them in a short while. As you heard in the EWN traffic bulletin, there are reports that Galuli's interchange has been affected. Uh, some reports that it has been closed. We know that there is an issue with drainage in Galuli. Whenever it rains a lot, it doesn't drain properly. And many of the cars uh, land up flooding uh, and, and being affected by the flooding. If you are in that area, please send me a WhatsApp voice note. Let me know what the situation is so that everybody else on the roads can also get a sense of what's going on. Well, let's speak to Robert Mulauzi, who's the Joburg EMS spokesperson, about what they are seeing out there. Robert, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What is the situation across Joburg? Oh, good afternoon, listeners. Yes, we can confirm that uh, we have been receiving a lot of rainfall from uh, uh, this morning. Uh, most parts of the city of Johannesburg are receiving these rainfalls, and uh, most of our roads have been driving around. Most of our roads, some they do have like some flash floods, mostly in the low lying area. So we uh, would like to urge our motorists out there to uh, not to drive with excessive speed and also to extend the safe following distance. Make sure that the other tourists uh, can be able to see them by making sure keeping the headlights on, and of course, most importantly, to avoid areas which might be flooded, especially our. Texas, you know, mostly when we have uh, weather rain, severe rainfalls like this, they normally try and, and take a chance to cross areas which are flooded, like bridges and also roads which are also cordoned off. So that's our message so far. Robert, have there been any incidents that EMS has had to respond to today? No, so far, no. We are just monitoring uh, most of the households along Jackske in Alexander and also uh, areas in Cape Town and Soweto. Because there are those residents who are residing right along the riverbanks. We've got our disaster management monitoring teams in those areas uh, to make sure that we can be able to, if there's a need for us to evacuate people, we can be able to do so. But so far, we're happy that uh, we don't have a situation where we have to uh, evacuate people. But we are worried about maybe 
uh, around peak hour traffic around in the afternoon we might have you know a lot of uh, uh, you know incident then because maybe people will be uh, uh, driving back home and also our concern is about the water levels in most of our river streams most of our residents in our low lying areas especially our informal settlements they are residing along river streams where as and when they're conducting their day-to-day business they have to cross like river streams Mostly they're using your man-made, mm. uh, those man-made bridges, which they normally cross. So we've got our monitoring teams in those areas to uh, discourage them to use those areas and also uh, to monitor young kids because young kids now, they might be tempted to go and play in those uh, next to these river streams whereby we might have like a uh, drowning incident. Robert, thank you very much. Uh, Robert Mulauti, very uh, important warning there from EMS as we see the the water coming down, those rivers getting swollen, uh, low-lying bridges obviously a concern. As I mentioned, Galuli is a concern at the moment as well. And we know when there is heavy rainfall, there is often an impact on a power supply as well. And uh, City Power also concerned about its ability to respond timelessly to power outages. Isaac Mangena is the City Power spokesperson. Isaac, good afternoon to you. How is the rain impacting on your power supply? Um, good day, Mendel. Good day to the listeners. Yes, indeed, we obviously, when situations like this, the inclement weather and the rain, we often find ourselves having a lot of um, outage calls from the residents. And uh, uh, this morning we woke up to about 2,000 outage calls, but obviously the impact was not that huge as anticipated by the morning. But obviously now uh, with the day and the demand uh, for electricity increasing as well, our resources are starting to be, you know, uh, um, stressed um, a little bit. Um, but also remember that when it's, it's raining, it's, it means that we are not also able to, to, to reach some of the areas that are affected due to the flooded uh, uh, roads, as, as, as my colleague Alonso is saying now, uh, most of the roads are flooded and we're not able to reach there, but also where we need to basically locate certain faults, um, which is on the cables underground or even overhead. During the rain, we're not able to do that. So that will basically um, affect our response time uh, you know, by, the, by, by our technicians. And as such, that's why we are pleading with the residents um, just to basically bear with us because of the strain. In terms of that backlog, you said there were 2,000 uh, complaints this morning. Uh, how, how long do you expect it to take to, to clear that, keeping in mind, of course, how difficult you've just described it is to deal with some of these outages? Yeah, yeah. Look, we are anticipating that it will be, it will take a little bit, a little while, and we have seen obviously some level of increase because of those people that we have promised to get through to them that we are not able to get through to because of the rain, but also those that have been out for over 24 hours. We've got about a thousand of those uh, calls uh, that were basically out for, for 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 the past 24 hours, and because of this rain, as I mentioned, um, we are not able to trench or if we trench. Um, those trenches obviously get flooded by water and we're not able to basically do the, the, the correct things that are supposed to happen. We know that obviously also working, working with electricity in the rain, the, working with electricity in the rain can also be a, a little bit dangerous. So we've pumped in the resources in all the, the areas that are, are hotspots, Rembeck, uh, Rutherford, Lenazia is also one of those uh, that we are basically uh, on standby. 
for any of the eventualities that might happen because of this matter. Isaac, thank you very much. Uh, Isaac Mangena is the City Power spokesperson speaking to us there about the situation and the knock-on effects uh, of the, the heavy rainfall and uh, how that does impede City Power's ability to do its job. Uh, Mandy, it is raining cats and dogs. Now, it's amazing, Mandy, how many people don't have their lights on. I'm not so sure maybe they think that people can see them. The purpose of using your headlights is so that the other drivers can see you. So I'm not so sure why they don't have their lights on, but I can tell you, if you don't have your lights on, you are not visible to the other driver. So let's leave it there. Kustas. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Kustas, thank you for that public service announcement. He's right. Put on your traffic lights, please. If you are driving in the rain, it's very hard to see when the rain is coming down the way uh, that it is, when it is raining cats and dogs. So please put your traffic lights on so that other people can see you and drive a little bit slower. Elizabeth Fluon, weather service forecaster, joining us now to give us a sense of what's going on um, because there have been a number of warnings that have been issued by the weather service. Elizabeth, Good afternoon to you. Why is it raining so much and what are you warning about? Uh, good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, yeah, so we've got quite an intense weather system again. So it's called a cut-off low pressure that's affecting most of the central and eastern parts of the country once again. But this system is going to move out quite quickly. So we've got all this rain expected today. We've got widespread showers and thunder showers and a warning, as you rightly said. So we've got a warning out for severe thunderstorm. But the main impact we are expecting with this is really some flooding because we've got a lot of rain coming down. So the main impact is going to be localized flooding or flooding of settlements. Um, also those areas that are prone to flooding. We know a number of areas in Kharteng doesn't need much rainfall, but they will flood. So we are expecting that to take place today. However, the good news is that this moves so quickly that by tomorrow it's going to be dry again. And our temperatures will start to warm up. We felt it's quite chilly. So this morning, though, we would have felt it's quite warm. We didn't have that low, freezing, cold morning, but it hasn't warmed up a lot during the day. And that's because we had the cloud cover moving. So that trapped in all yesterday's heat, kept the minimum temperatures quite high, but kept our maximum temperatures quite low. By tomorrow, tomorrow morning, we're going to have a rather chilly start to the morning in Kharteng. But then daytime temperatures do start to recover. Johannesburg will reach a high of about 23 degrees tomorrow. Thursday will be 26. And then it's going to continue roughly around those temperatures by Friday. Saturday, even warmer. We're seeing those sunny conditions again. 29 for Saturday and 50 on Sunday. So it returns to quite hot weather by the weekend. In contrary, down in the Cape, no rain there, but temperatures are still quite cool. We're only seeing a high of 20 degrees in the mother city today. Tomorrow, sunny skies, so clear skies with sunny conditions with a high of 21. And it basically stays that way. But Friday, slight peak at 26 and then drops again by Saturday and Sunday. So a bit of a contrary in temperatures as well as weather conditions for up in Harting versus down in the Cape. Elizabeth, thank you so much for explaining that uh, so well, really giving us an understanding there of uh, the situation. It's interesting, as Elizabeth points out, it's not freezing in Joburg today. It's rainy and it's wet, but it's not freezing cold. And she's explained why, with the heat from yesterday being being trapped in by the cloud cover. And tomorrow morning it will be it will be chilly. But fortunately, as we head towards the weekend, at least it'll be more of summer. So thank
thank you for uh, Elizabeth Fulion, SA Weather Service forecaster, for explaining that. Hi, Mandy. It's Pascalina here in Tipluf. Yo, I'm so happy about the rain. Yo, yo, my gardens looks nice. Yo, I'm so happy. I wish it can rain f- forever so that you can get food. <laughs> I agree with you. I love the rain. It's a great excuse to climb under in, into the blankets. Uh, Donovan says, put your traffic lights on, Mandy. Sorry, did I say traffic lights? You know what I mean? You know, it's so rare that we actually have, have traffic lights on, that it would be quite nice if the traffic lights actually came on. But put your car lights on, and it would be nice if the traffic lights came on too. Thousands of South Africans sell their vehicles to We Buy Cars every month. And thousands more buy from We Buy Cars every month. With We Buy Cars, you don't need to miss any rugby. They'll come to you, evaluate your vehicle within minutes and pay you on the spot. And if you're buying, you can secure your vehicle online while watching the game. The ball is in your hands. Visit webuycars.co.za today. WhatsApp Mandy on 072-702-1702. Good day, uh, Mendiwina. It's Norman here in Pejuria in this uh, rainy Tuesday. I, I just want to find out uh, the two people that appeared at the uh, magistrate court in Limpopo in relation to Palapala. What is the legality of President Ramaphosa hiring illegal foreigners to be cleaners, garden boys and security? What does our law say about that type of situation? I'm just intrigued by that uh, development. Firstly, it's God and man, uh, just to correct you on that. Um, I think that that is a phrase that uh, we should not be uttering in 2023. Um, so I, I think that I will speak to our reporter about that just to get clarity on whether or not uh, Emanuela David and Frolina Joseph, who are the two who made their, their court appearance today, what the legality is of uh, their standing in the country in terms of citizenship. Um, uh, my understanding is Frolina Joseph is a, a South African and was employed, but the other man who appeared was not employed um, but I will check check that with uh, Oren Singh who's covering that for us so thank you for that voice note I will get clarity on that uh, and then another story that the police have put out a statement on as well I mentioned at the start of the show, but police are investigating a case of armed robbery after the Minister of Transport and two protectors were robbed on the N3 between Forslerus and Heidelberg. Personal belongings and two police service pistols were stolen during the incident. Members involved are receiving necessary support and counselling. Um, so that's a statement being put out by the police and this voice note coming from Colonel Katlejo Mohale. Have a listen. The SAPS is investigating the circumstances surrounding the robbery incident that took place on Monday on the N3 between Fosloros and Heidelberg that involved the Minister of Transport and two protectors. Personal belongings and two SAPS service pistols were stolen during the incident. Members involved are receiving necessary support and counselling. A manhunt has since been launched following this unprecedented incident and to bring to book those responsible for this attack. The Minister has in the meantime been provided with alternative resources. The SAPS is committed to executing its mandate of protecting the executive of the country and community at large. VIP protection is one of the key priority areas for the SAPS and has been undertaken with excellence over the years. We endeavor to continue to serve and protect whilst observing all aspects of our VIP protection protocols. 
Hmm, that's the police spokesperson on this incident with the transport minister and her VIP protectors. Um, forgive me for being hypercritical here, but if we are spending an enormous part of our budget on VIP protection, then you would hope that the VIP protectors would be able to protect the minister that they are being paid to protect and to ensure that their firearms do not get stolen. However, I do not know the details of this incident, so we shall give them the benefit of the doubt, but it does concern me that perhaps they are not sufficiently trained. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So we did just get a voice note about that Palapala case and whether or not the um, president should be employing people who are not South African nationals. Well, two suspects aged 39 and 30 making their first appearance in court today, Emanuela David and Froliana Joseph, allegedly linked to the Palapala robbery, making the first appearance in the Bella Bella Magistrates Court in Limpopo. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, is following that for us. Oren, good afternoon to you. Uh, we wanted to just get clarity on uh, do we know the nationality of the two accused today because there was a voice note asking that question and what else do we know about these two individuals who appeared in court good afternoon mandy um well yes indeed we do know the nationality of the two accused they are both uh, of namibian na- uh, nationality um but they do have citizenship in south africa um, that must be noted uh, mandy um Flori, liana um joseph is a former employee of President Cyril Ramaphosa, um, while um, Emmanuel David is her co-accused in the matter. From what we understand, she could be seen as the mastermind having worked um, within Ramaphosa's home or a Palo Palo home and uh, having known details about the money that had gone missing thereafter. We also know, Mandy, that initially the two had broken into the wrong farm. And it's, it's quite, um, you know, weird for us to, if, 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 uh, if Joseph worked at Ramaphosa's Palo Palo farm, why they would break into the wrong farm. So the day before the robbery at Palo Palo, they had broken into another farmhouse, which was the incorrect farm. The following day, they broke into Ramaphosa's Palo Palo farm and made off with 580,000 US dollars um, in cash. And was there a bail application? Were they released? What do we know about that? So the the case has been postponed to Friday. Um, David's will be making an application. uh, Sorry, Joseph will be making an application for bail while uh, David will be seeking legal representation. Um, We also heard that Joseph is a breastfeeding mother. She does have a small child baby uh, who requires um, her to breastfeed. So there was an agreement between the state and her legal uh, representative that um, her baby would be brought to the holding cells where she's been detained so she could breastfeed three times a day. And what have the police said about um, the arrest of of these two and, and do they believe that anybody else was potentially involved? Well, the Hawks have remained mum on the possibility of another suspect but we do know from chatting to the Hawks at the court this morning that they are hot on the heels of a third suspect that's involved in this matter, a person who is a fugitive at the moment, and they are currently tracing their whereabouts and are expected to make uh, an arrest. Um, they would not comment on whether there would be other ra- arrests thereafter, but they said investigations are ongoing, and they hope to come to the finalization of this case as quick as possible.
Aaron, thank you very much. Aaron Singh, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on that court appearance today uh, in the Bella Bella Magistrates Court in Limpopo, where two people have appeared in court allegedly linked to the Pala Pala robbery at President Cyril Ramaphosa's farm in 2020. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, Mandy. It's Graeme speaking. I've just gone through Galuli. Galuli's approaching on the N3 North. It is slow, but not slower than any slower than normal. Uh, just raining very, very hard. Um, I got through with no problems. Hi, Mandy. Good show. I'm just shocked the police that has been robbed. And to tell you the honest of truth, my opinion. This country is becoming a laughing joke, honestly. For policemen to be robbed and I just can't believe it. Thanks. Firstly, thank you very much for the update on the N3 highway. There are conflicting reports about uh, Gululis and whether it's closed or not. It seems as though it is open. Uh, we know that when it rains heavily, Gululis gets affected. Also, early this morning, there was an accident on the N3 north around Marlborough. So I think that whole area is just congested as well. Um, and that voice note responding to uh, that story I told you about, the transport minister and her two VIP protectors being held up at gunpoint uh, and their firearms being stolen, uh, which is, it is laughable it's unfortunate um but really the stories write themselves um and uh, i don't understand why we, we have such a huge budget that is being spent on vip protection uh, and then a couple of whatsapp messages mandy let's get it correct if someone's here legally it does not matter what nationality they are i agree with you um because if they are in south africa legally then they are entitled to be employed i know that's not a popular view um a response there to why the president is employing uh, Namibian nationals, but as Oren Singh explained, the Namibian nationals do have citizenship in South Africa, and that's why they were employed. The opposite view here is, hi Mandy, in God's name, why is President Sora Ramaphosa hiring foreigners to work on his farm when he knows his people are starving at home? So two conflicting views there. Uh, if you want to send us a WhatsApp voice note, you can do so. 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. Let's go to another breaking news story now because uh, shortly before we came on air, news breaking that the appointment of Floyd Brink, the city manager in the city of Joburg, uh, that appointment has been declared unlawful by the courts. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter on that one for us. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this court decision, uh, what, uh, what led to it and what the courts decided. Good afternoon, Mandy. So the Democratic Alliance in the Joburg Council had taken the matter up uh, in court uh, in terms of the appointment of Floyd Brink as the city manager. Now, the position was advertised, Mandy, sometime last year. I think it was August in 2022 when Advert was released looking for a city manager. There were two top contenders for this position, uh, including Floyd Brink as well as Johan Mettler. And Mettler was, in fact, the first preferred candidate for getting the job, uh, but the decision swayed towards um, Brink instead because of the availability of Mettler to take up this position. Position. But the issue that the DA then had was that he didn't fulfill the requirements for the job, that being the time spent as a, as a senior manager, uh, as per COP31, 
regulations, you need at least 10 years of senior management experience uh, to be a uh, city manager in the city of Joburg and the other councils as well. And the DA argued that uh, um, Brink only had four years. Uh, and so that's where the issue uh, began. It was an issue of whether he qualified or not. But the city, even after the council had voted uh, to, to, to um, in favor of appointing um, Brink after that recommendation of the panel that interviewed him, um, the city then defended him and said, well, he in fact does have more than the 10 years required. In the city of Joburg, he only had four years experience as the COO, but he had other tire, uh, other uh, experience from Limpopo uh, acting as a CEO, uh, working as a senior manager uh, in that province as well, though that matter was also found not to be uh, quite um, aligned to the regulations of COPTA. So, Mandy, that's where we, we found ourselves with that issue. Though the court now has ruled that it was, in fact, um, unlawful, that appointment was, in fact, unlawful, and that uh, he now needs to be, of course, removed as the uh, city manager. And the city now has 10 days to appoint a new city manager. And that's where we are with the issue. Of that the was my next and- next question. Nukukanias, what are the implications of this now? Um, so 10 days to appoint a new city manager, could they take it on appeal? or what? And, and I see some people saying that uh, the DA court victory confirms the Joburg Council must be dissolved. Um, uh, is that something that needs to happen? Because that's what the DA is saying. Well, we are still yet to get some responses from the from the council itself. There were a number of respondents that were listed here, including uh, the uh, Colleen Makubela, who's the, the speaker of the Joburg Council. Cocteau was also one of the respondents. Um, so we are yet to get a response from them and what the matter, you know, what the implications will be. But like I said, Mandy, there are 10 days in which they have to remedy the situation by finding an acting city manager in the, in the meantime. But it really is uh, an issue of politics again at council level, Mandy. Uh, when this matter was unfolding earlier in the year, there were uh, claims that Brink had initially gotten the position because um, the, 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 the parties that had majority in council wanted to appease the EFF um, that, that was responsible in essence for the ANC being able to keep its position uh, or its majority within, uh, um, within the Joburg Council. So whether or not they, they will take this on appeal is something that we are yet to to hear from the city um, and the leaders in the city um, and whether or not it's an issue of it being dissolved again, Mandy, right. is something that we will, uh, you know, mm. get a sense of as the day unfolds. Nokukanya, thank you. Nokukanya, I'm Tambo, EWN reporter on that court decision. The DA has put out a statement saying uh, that the court victory confirms the Joburg Council must be dissolved, uh, saying that it has been vindicated by the High Court judgment declaring Floyd Brink's appointment by the ANC EFFPA coalition as Joburg city manager unconstitutional, unlawful and uh, invalid and uh, the judgment strengthens our resolve to ensure that the Joburg council is dissolved so that fresh elections can take place giving the voters themselves the opportunity to resolve the crisis of governance in the city. So the DA is arguing that this judgment means that the council must be dissolved. Uh, That's the call from the DA. What do you think about that? 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Let's stay in the courts and get an update now on the Senzo Mayiwa trial. The trial within a trial still ongoing. Khomotso Medise, EWN reporter there for us. Khomotso, what's the latest today? Well, Mandy, Sergeant Bosozi Mukhane is still on the witness stand. He is one of the investigating officers in this case, and he actually led the arrest of accused number two, that is Bongani Ndanti.
Something interesting coming out during his cross-examination today. So you'll remember there was that 18-hour gap between the time that Bongani Ndanzi was booked out of his prison cell on the 18th of June 2020 and the time that he was returned on the 19th of June 2020 at 2.30 a.m. Now, Ndanzi's lawyer, Advocate Ngobizulu, has questioned Mohane about where Ndanzi was during this time. This is because the defense believes that he was assaulted at this time. He says that um, after they took him to the Sibanya Stillwater Mine, where he um, was taken to verify whether he was at work on the day Mayor was killed, and Dante says he was then taken to be assaulted, he was tubed, he was um, you know, uh, suffocated and choked in order to confess. Uh, however, Mohane today says that the only reason why he didn't take Ndanzi back to his prison cell is because he knew that Ndanzi was going to be bored in the prison cell. And so he told him, you know, if you want to come with me as I continue to do my other policing work and investigate other cases, you're very uh, welcome to. And I found it really interesting because uh, it seemed as though police here were acting as entertainers for someone who was going to be bored in a prison cell as opposed to ensuring that he's detained as he should be after he's been arrested. Um, we, we heard Ndanji's lawyer questioning that, saying, what do you mean he was going to be bored? And, um, you know, Mohane said, well, you know, we knew that he was going to be alone in the cell at that time, so we just decided to take him with us, and it happened to go on really long until 2 a.m. the next day. Uh, Mohane is continuing with his testimony now. We actually heard uh, Judge Ratamukhateng asking that he disclose these cases that he was going to be, that he was investigating on the day, because Mohane told the court that he can't disclose those cases as many of them are still being investigated. However, Judge Mukhateng made an order saying uh, Mohane must tell the court what cases he was attending with Ndanzi Day until 2 a.m., and he says it should be disclosed in a note, Mandy, that will be given to uh, all counsel as well as the judge. Khamoto, thank you for that uh, update. Khamoto Modise, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on the Senzo Miwa trial. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. For the spokesperson there to say that it's an unprecedented uh, occurrence is actually laughable. My wife and uh, family were hijacked on that same stretch of the road of the N3. It's happened to numerous people. I mean, we've tracked the reports because, you know, having uh, lived through that bit of hell, you know, it's, it's actually a joke that uh, it, it hasn't been cleared up. But that, that was two and a half years ago. And if you go and look up the stats, I think you'll find it's one of the most uh, dangerous stretches of the road in the country at the moment. But yeah, unprecedented, sure. Good afternoon, Mandy and the listeners. Those arrested in connection with the Pala Pala saga has been charged with four accounts, but not one of them includes the possession of foreign currency. That to me is very intriguing. It all blew downs. Hi, traffic update. It's France from Pretoria. There's a truck accident on the N1 North at the N4 interchange. The truck is on its side. Looks like at least two or three lanes are blocked. Just happened, so traffic is starting to back up on the N1 North uh, on the way past the N4 interchange. Thank you so much for being our eyes and ears out there and letting other motorists know about that. Of course, uh, it is raining heavily, so just be careful wherever you're driving, uh, that accident just happening. So if you wanted to take that route, just be aware of that. Um, on that issue of the minister and her VIP protectors being held up, in the statement by the police, they call it unprecedented. And um, they say a manhunt has since been launched following this unprecedented incident. My understanding or my reading of that was it was unprecedented for VIP police officers to be held 
held up and have their service pistols or firearms, uh, firearms being stolen from them. Not that it's unprecedented for people to be held up on that stretch of road on the N3 between Forsleris and Heidelberg. I, I may have misread that, but that was my reading of it. And I also don't think it's unprecedented for VIP officers to have uh, their weapons stolen from them either. Uh, it doesn't make it okay. I still think that it's astonishing that this was able to, to even happen. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, on the issue of uh, policing and specifically police brutality, uh, we're taking a look at uh, the IPID uh, legislation and how the the change in law uh, can deal with the issue of police brutality. Very interesting analysis being done by Danielle Knutzer and David Bruce. Danielle is an investigative journalist at Viewfinder, taking a look at the IPID Act Amendment Bill that's currently before Parliament, which has really received widespread attention because because provisions regarding the appointment of the IPID executive director could compromise the watchdog's independence. But there are other very important issues in the bill that need attention as well. So, Daniel Knutzer joining us now to speak about that. Daniel, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for, for your time. You've written a, a very nuanced analysis of, of the bill, which unfortunately we can't get into all of, of the detail around it. But fundamentally, what, what are the concerns around the IPID Act Amendment Bill and what should the concerns be? Um, good afternoon, Mandy, and thank you for having me. Good afternoon to the listeners. Yeah, so I think there are two issues in the bill that um, could go either way, and we felt uh, David Bruce from the ISS and myself, who have been discussing these issues for a number of years, felt it prudent to kind of put something out in the public um, to bring uh, to lift the veil on the parliamentary dis- debate around um, these sections. The one pertains to the number of cases or the range of cases that the watchdog uttered are mandated to investigate mandatorily. And the other one relates to the police's responsibility to initiate disciplinary proceedings against officers implicated often in violent crimes. And what we argue essentially is that the police watchdog currently is so utterly overwhelmed. I mean, we just looked at the figures again and the 189 investigators at IPA currently are carrying a caseload of more than, uh, I think, 47,000 cases in the most uh, recent financial year. And this largely has been a consequence of the outsourcing of these investigations en masse by police departmental structures to IPAD and essentially washing their hands, Um, commanders washing their hands of instances where their subordinates have been accused of uh, very serious misconduct and criminality. And what we argue essentially in uh, our submissions to this bill is that It cannot be that um, this dictum that the police cannot investigate themselves, um, resulting in the police washing their hands and IPID's caseload being inflated. Alternatively, what we argue the bill should make provisions for is, first of all, an alleviation of IPID's workload by distinguishing certain lesser serious cases to be, um, for IPID to have a discretionary power as to whether they commit their own investigative resources to those. Alternatively, whether those could be referred back to the departmental structures of the police um, to to deal with. Um, It is, after all, the police's responsibility to ensure a high standard of conduct and integrity and Mm. discipline within its ranks. And historically, what we've been seeing with the interpretation of the IPAD Act is an outsourcing of that responsibility to an under-resourced watchdog and an an absolution 
um, of that proactive responsibility we right. feel of police management. Yeah. Uh, how do you distinguish then between the cases which would be sent to IPED and those which would stay in um, the the police for investigation? You did say more more high profile. Yeah. How do you distinguish those cases? So of, of those forty seven past thousand cases, seventy four percent of them currently are accounted for um, as assault cases and also discharge of official firearm cases. Now, many of those assaults um, can be considered as common assault cases. We know that. And the distinguishing, um, the distinguishment that is being made in the bill already uh, proposes that common assault cases and uh, firearm-related cases that do not account or amount to attempted murder be expunged or taken out of the Act and that they be dealt with uh, separately. Uh, there was pushback to that proposal. A lot of civil society organizations felt that IPED's mandate should be expanded as to the number of cases. And so what we've tried to propose is a middle ground where these cases are still reported to IPED but not mandatorily investigated. I mean, that could alleviate the caseload by something like 60%, uh, give or take. And But we are very clear to argue that those cases shouldn't automatically be neglected, that if they are referred back for police commanders, supervisors, disciplinary officials to handle, that IPED should play a really proactive Mm -hmm. role in ensuring the integrity and the speediness with which those cases are resolved by internal police processes. We cannot have a case where those cases are outsourced and then uh, handled behind closed doors, Right. as is often the case now. So those provisions are also possible with an amend- a well-considered amendment. Danielle, thank you very much. Uh, Danielle uh, Knutter, as I argued, as I said there, um, this is a very nuanced argument. It's very difficult to get into all the detail around it, but uh, a summary there of the uh, the opinion that he has written uh, on the IPAD Act Amendment Bill, which is currently before Parliament. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. The Minister in the Presidency, Kumbuzo Nchaveni, yesterday announcing that an audit of spaza shops in villages and townships was uh, imminent. Government wants to clamp down on the running of spaza shops by foreign nationals who are in the country illegally, who have not invested in the country as required by law. It comes uh, on the back of a, a recent home affairs workshop with mayors and traditional leaders as well. Uh, cabinet also concerned about the spate of poisonings of young children in particular who have eaten goods that have been purchased from spaza shops and vendors. Uh, let's take a look at this now with Penny Campbell, Director for Food Control at the National Health Department. Penny, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. What, what exactly is the, the thinking of government here in terms of uh, clamping down on spaza shops in this audit? Good afternoon, Mandy, and good afternoon to the, to the listeners. I think we need to appreciate the leadership from Minister Mozzoledi in terms of hosting the migration workshop and then the cabinet decision on a way forward in terms of giving us policy certainty and clarity with regards to this um, sector of the economy, um, especially with regards to the direction given that there will be four lead departments now needing to have a look at um, auditing the spaza shops and taking stock of whether or not they are legally compliant. I must say that the environmental health units in the municipalities have already been doing this as part of their um, 
um, concerted effort to respond to the concerns that were raised after the two deaths and incidents in Naledi that sparked right. off this entire thing. Penny, I just wanted to get clarity on this. So uh, is the intention to do uh, an audit or clamp down only on the Spaza shops that are owned by foreign nationals because um, it's not to say that that Spaza shops owned by South African citizens could be providing uh, food that is causing poisoning. Okay, well, what we don't know as yet is whether or not the foods um, have been um, caused the the deaths because we're still awaiting the results. Preliminary results indicate that some of the samples are negative for what was thought they would have in them. I'm not speaking specifically about these incidents. I mean, generally, um, there could be an argument that we are only targeting spaza shops owned by, by foreign nationals. Okay, but I think what a lot of the investigations have also elicited is that there is a lot of illicit food being traded in different types of uh, spaza and tuck shops in the townships. But I don't think that the uh, direction is towards uh, illegal foreigners, but more towards um, indicating that spaza shops also need to comply to the Business Act. And I think that has been a bit of uncertainty, especially when we look at um, recent or in the past, um, some of the decisions that have been taken. Um, So it's a general indication from um, the minister and the presidency that spaza shops would need to comply with the Business Act and not just um, spaza shops owned by illegal foreigners is how I Mm. understand it. Is there a general sense that the the monitoring of spaza shops generally hasn't been particularly um, efficient, that there, there hasn't been a lot of regularity around this industry? Well, I, I'm not too sure, and the municipalities would be best placed to respond to that. Um, I think what has been uncertain is whether or not um, someone who does not have an ID number can operate a business. And so with that, um, they would have to look at whether or not they comply with business requirements, which is why I say now the the cabinet decision gives policy certainty and clarity on that in the sense that anybody wanting to run a spaza shop, whether it's a local or whether it's a foreigner, must then comply to the law which I think is what we've been trying to emphasize as well, even when communities are concerned and are scared and want to take action and want to close shops, but that that is the mandate of the environmental health practitioners and or the police. Penny, thank you very much uh, for that clarity. Penny Campbell uh, speaking to us, uh, the Director for Food Control in the National Health Department. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good afternoon, Mandy. Uh, it's a shocking thing for the minister to be robbed. It means there is no security. And I don't know if all this robbery that is taking place, the president is aware because I believe he needs to take charge of this country. The, 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 the robbery, the insecurity is too much. Anonymous, thank you. The Midday Report. Thank you very much for joining us. It is a busy news day. We've covered most of it on the Midday Report. Uh, so keep listening to Eyewitness News. And for our Joburg listeners, uh, remember, please switch on your headlights, drive carefully in the rain.